0: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we are getting closer and closer to the draft. We're within a month. I know Jim has draft fever. Jonathan? I checked fever? my
1: temperature. It's you rising. It? Um, can, yeah, I, I
0: definitely, definitely have it. All right. Well, the the our draft list, our list of the top draft prospects is expanding as we speak from 200 to 250. So make sure you go to MLB.com slash pipeline or MLB.com slash draft. You should be able to find this list uh, quite easily. If you go to MLB.com, check out uh, the new list as it is going up here. Um, And we will dig into that list in just a moment. We're also going to look at the leading vote getters in the all-star game and the reason that we're going to do this is because it is a decidedly uh, former prospect former elite prospect heavy list of players uh, very interesting batch of players guys that uh, we saw this coming a long time ago these are either the guys that we expected to be here uh, over the past five to ten years and they're arriving now we'll take a look at that and specifically we're going to look at a couple of juniors Vlad jr and Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, interestingly, we did a poll, uh, what was it, about three years ago, initially, uh, asking our, our followers on Twitter who they would rather have long-term between those two players, and it was a landslide. And then we asked them a year later, and it was a landslide the other way. And we just asked them last night, and uh, interesting outcome there. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we have a new addition to the Top 100 Prospects list, new but old. Jesus Sanchez is back on the list. We'll talk about that, and we'll wrap up with the mailbag, answer a couple of your questions, as we always do. So, guys, Top 250 Draft Prospects list. This is the, what, fourth time we've expanded the list now? From We initially started at 100, expanded it to 150. Uh, that was from December, the initial list went up, and then April, we expanded to 150, then to 200, and now to 250. Let's talk about, first of all, your overall thoughts on the list. Anything that you guys have been talking about uh, between the two of you during this particular expansion of the list? Anything that's
2: caught your eye? Well, Jonathan was saying he wants to go to 350 by July 11th, so he's oh, going indeed. to write up an extra 100 I, I, I prospects have
1: no, I have no between now and like I say I, I think the main thing we talked about was trying to give each other more, more players to write up. Uh, in, in all seriousness, I, I think, you know, we've never expanded the list uh, this far. Jim, you have a little more experience in, in you know, the sort of the bigger lists from your time at Baseball America, but we've never gone this far. And, you know, this year's class is, it's good. It's, you know, I don't think it's great. Uh, and I found that writing up that, you know, and when, when you're talking 201 to 250, that's, you know, seventh and eighth round guys. I think even through the top 200, and I, I may you know, Jim. Correct me if you feel differently, but you know, sometimes when we're writing up our top thirty list for teams, and the teams aren't that great, you might still find interesting guys at the back end of the thirty. And that's how you know if a system is getting better. If like the guys in twenty-five to thirty still intrigue you, there are some intriguing guys here. I, I just was, a, you know, not overly overwhelmed by some of the some of the players. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be big leaguers from from the group. There, there will be for sure. There always are. But uh, to me, that was my biggest thing where I was like. Well, there's some you know an interesting arm here, a guy with power here, but the deeper you go, the the, the tougher it is to find like really top notch talent.
2: Yeah, and you know it, it's interesting because it's that 200 250 range. You know if they dra- if everybody just drafted in the order we lined them up, that w- that would be seventh and eighth round picks. And and I, I kind of think of guys in broad groups, and you know especially the college performers we have that we've added toward the bottom of the list. Some of those guys might go in the fourth or fifth round because um, because college performers get pushed up and. It's interesting too, because I feel like when you get to that deep in the list and you're right, I mean, I went 500 deep in my days at Baseball America, although we didn't write as detailed reports and we didn't grade everybody out, you know, a guy you rank 220 might be 170 on somebody else's list and 270 on, on another list. I mean, the, the distinction between players gets murky and you know how I, I, I can get lost in the minutiae of, okay, you know, which pitcher better, this guy or that guy, but um. You know, I mean, the, 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 as you said, there will be big leaguers coming out of those players. You know, we are moving guys around the rest of the list. It's interesting. I mean, I feel sometimes I feel mean, Jonathan, when I'm writing these guys up because, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to portray an accurate picture of what the guy is. So you're talking about his strengths and his weaknesses. And obviously, there's going to be more weaknesses with the guy ranked you know, 208th on the list than the guy who's ranked eighth on our list. At times I felt mean because I was, was, was spending time writing about things that these players can't do. But, I mean, they do have strengths. They do have attributes that will get them drafted. And some of those attributes will take some of these guys to the big leagues.
1: Jim is getting rid of the veneer that he's a nice guy. We all know better. So, um, but, you know, it, it, it's interesting because even with some of the guys and we're going to talk about some of them uh, a, a little bit today, but trying to decide like who in this group, guys that are going you know, to go kind of high on the list, like, well, who do you like better? And then you circle back and ask a bunch of area scouts and and it's split. And this is, I think this is where you know, we are with the, with these these players. And listen, in draft rooms, as you get further on in the draft, it becomes a an area scouts draft where they start pounding the table for a guy they really like. And some of those guys made it onto our list. So when we're talking about some of these guys and, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out where to with them, and it was very interesting. A couple of guys I circled back. I'm like, let me see what the area scouts are thinking with some of these pop up guys. And it's literally, who do you like better, player A or player B? And scout one, player A; scout two, player B. So you know, we're kind of neither here nor there. There, there isn't going to be that huge consensus, you know, like there might be with guys at, at the at the top of the draft in terms
0: of just how good they might be. All right, so you're you're. Talking about how the uh, bottom of the list is a little murky when you're trying to rank those guys, but let's take a look at the top of the list where it's a little more focused. How does the how does the order up top look uh, from the previous iteration of this list to the, the current one?
2: We, we didn't really make many changes up top. I think the only change we made in our top 14 was moving Cleo Watson, the, the North Carolina high school shortstop who, who's surging up towards the top of the draft. We moved him from number eight to number four. And, and I think we just left everybody else in, in the same order. We are, I think, planning somewhere roughly a week before the draft. We're not going to expand the list further, but we, we we will theoretically shift guys around if, if we're hearing things and, and, and see reason to change. But, you know, Khalil Watson has just been on this huge push. His season started late in North Carolina. He's hitting the ball better. He's showing more power. He's quicker. He's showing better defense. You uh, know, he was already a, a, a pretty highly regarded guy coming into the year, and, and guys are all flocking to see him. And There's talk he could go one to the Pirates or two the Rangers, so so we moved him up. Um, but but otherwise, left the left the top of the list pretty much intact. I mean, I think the the next highest change we made on the list, Jonathan, was we moved Benny Montgomery up from 16 to 15, which was not exactly earth shattering.
0: The one move though of uh, Watson up the list is. Interesting, and and I know you guys have talked about this and it's been talked about quite a bit, uh, how high school shortstop heavy the the top of this class is now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it always was. You know, we didn't move Khalil Watson from 25th up. He was already in the top 10. So, you know, four high school shortstops in the top 10 seem seems quite probable. uh, And that's never happened before. And in a normal year, quote unquote, the draft would have been over already, of course, Khalil Watson's season would have started sooner, but it's sort of a perfect storm with him playing late and a lot of other guys being done. So you know, a lot of people going in to see him, and he's performing well while everyone's going in to see him, which is you know it's the that that sort of perfect storm that pushes him pushes him up the ladder and why he's now kind of you know in that in that mix closer to the to the top and. You know, last week on the pod, we talked about the, my Marcelo Meyer versus Jordan Lawler story and how, you know, the more time passes, like we could redo the questions and include Khalil Watson. And that's not giving short shrift to Brady House, who's also a top 10 pick, but Watson is now closer to the Meyer Lawler stratosphere uh, based on his performance this spring.
0: All right. So let's look at this list through the lens of the top tools in the class. This is a story that we do each year when we put out our top draft prospects list. This year's list looks like this The best hit tool in the class belongs to the aforementioned Marcelo Meyer. Uh, The best power in the class belongs to the also aforementioned high school shortstop Brady House. Best run tool in the class belongs to Seth Stevenson. Best arm in the class, Henry Davis. The best fielding tool belongs to Marcelo Meyer again. Uh, best fastball in the class as we move to the pitchers, Jack Leiter. Best curveball, Seth Lonsway. Best slider, Jackson Job Best changeup, Jordan Wicks. And the best control in the class, Michael McGreevy. Let's, uh, let's take a closer look at a few of these. Uh, why don't we start off with the hitters? And Jonathan, you just talked about a, a couple of these guys in Meyer and House. Uh, but Meyer house and Seth Stevenson, who Stevenson obviously is kind of the, uh, the the guy that's uh, a little different of those three.
1: He is uh, just because, you know, the speed uh, is one of those tools that you can have a guy, uh, you know, like a Billy Hamilton type of player. Uh, I'm not comparing Seth Stevenson to Billy Hamilton. I just mean guy who has speed and the other tools aren't nearly as good, which is, you know, why, you know, Stevenson's at the back end of the, of the top 200, you know, Meyer, is a is an interesting guy in terms of being the the top hitter um you know and Jim and I were kind of talking a little bit about this and you know when I did the polling between him and Lawler you know the one thing that people brought up the most about why they preferred Meyer and there were a host of things but the main thing was certainty in the bat and there is general consensus that he is going to hit and for me that's what kind of puts him at the top of this tools list while they you know we're you know, some other candidates, Uh, you know, to, to, to go kind of with that, that top hit
2: tool. And I think it's interesting with the, with the best hit tool, there was not a clear cut guy this year. You know, there wasn't a, an Austin Martin or, you know, what could have been Spencer Torkelson last year too, or an Andrew Vaughn. You know, I I think this one's a little bit closer, Jonathan, which is why I was conversing with you as, as I, you were talking about lack of consensus when you talk to scouts, and and I've run this by a few people and I get different names. Uh, Colton Cowser from Sam Houston is one, Sal Frelick from BC is another, you know, Peyton Stovall is another high school bat from Louisiana. Um, I even had, you know, not not necessarily as the best guy, but Tyler Black from Wright State was mentioned, you know, Matt McClain's pretty famous. So I, I felt like this was maybe the toughest of the, when I was working on this story. Uh, the toughest of the ten tools to pick a clear winner. I, I think that one is its is closest call.
1: I'd want to go back. I'm curious, you know, and this is without knowing, but you know, as you're mentioning these other guys, then when we've done these top tool stories, uh, how many times I have to think that it's largely been college bats that have been the top hit tool. Yeah, there's more data, um, you, you know, they've done it against better competition. I wonder how many times we've had a high school player in that spot over the years that we've done this.
2: Yeah, probably not too often.
1: We'll have to look that up.
2: You don't have that in a
0: spreadsheet, Jim. I don't. Let's well, you're the spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Yeah, you're, the spreadsheet. You're,
1: you're, you're the spreadsheet guru. So I'm on it.
0: Doing it as we speak. As you're hosting the podcast. That's impressive. All right. So on the pitching side of things, uh, let's take a look at uh, the Jack Lighter fastball and the Jackson Job slider which is uh much valued let's start with the fastball
1: uh you know i think that this is sort of interesting because people are gonna are, are gonna see this list and listen to this podcast and they're like jack lighter there are guys who throw harder than jack lighter he's got a, a teammate who throws harder than he does so jim you know i'm gonna defer to you as our lighter rocker vanderbilt beat writer but you also this is your part of the country but like when you like explain a little bit why lighter gets the the nod over some other guys who are on the list who will light up the radar gun more than he does.
2: As we've seen through the years, it's not about sheer velocity. You know, if we were picking pure velocity, I think you'd go with a guy like Ryan Cusick who's been clocked at 102 miles an hour or Sam Bachman's been to 100. And as you mentioned, Yakuma Rocker. And and even we're adding a guy, Luke Murphy, a reliever on that Vanderbilt staff, throw harder than Jack Leiter does on a consistent basis. He he usually sits around ninety two, to ninety five. But he has, if you start looking at all the other characteristics of fastball, including the the, the riding life, the, the release point, and the and the you know perception of vertical break that that creates. I had one assistant scouting director. Who analyzes a lot of that stuff say it's one of the best fastballs he's come across in any draft. And I think if you watch their games, you see that. You know, if you if you watched highlights from the no hitter that he had against South Carolina's first SEC start, when his when his curveball, which was really the pitch he was known for in high school, was not on that day, and he mainly thrived with his fastball. Or even if you watched the regional or super regional games, I mean, Jack Leiter can throw you know ninety three up in the strike zone and guys just don't hit it. And, and that's why he's, I think that that's what makes it more effective than anything else. Is it, you know, your eye is telling you, okay, I'm going to crush this pitch because it's not you now 93, 94. And it's, it's above the belt. And, and then the ball just doesn't go where you think it's going to go. And, and you swing under it. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you, if you were just doing, you know, old school, Hey, we're just looking at velo, It probably would be Ryan Cusick, but, I, but I do think more than anything else, I, I think it's the way that fastball plays that, that makes Jack Leiter as special as he is.
0: All right. And how about Jackson Joe, a guy who I think coming into this year was as much a hitting prospect as he was a pitching prospect and then just kind of burst onto the scene as a pitcher and a lot of talk about the spin rate on a slider. And he has uh, jumped up our rankings over the course of the past six months, largely based, I think, on that pitch.
2: Yes and no. Um, I'll be difficult here and, 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 and refute that. but uh, And I think he was definitely a pitcher coming in. I mean, we had him going towards, I think, in the 20s, I want to say, ranked coming into the season. You know, not necessarily he'd go that high because high school righties tend not to go as, as high as, as they're ranked. But the slider has always been his pitch. You know, it, it's got elite. I don't know if you can have elite, elite spin rates, but I'll go double elite. (laughs) Slider spin rates above 3,000 RPM. It's hard. It's it's like 82, 85. It has really good depth. He locates it where he wants. I, I give the slider a slight edge over Kumar Rockers because I think Job can get more swings and misses in the strike zone, and Rockers is maybe a little bit more of a chase pitch than. Hey, he lands it in the strike zone as well as Job, even though Job's less experienced. You know, Job has a, a good fastball too, 92-94, up to 96. That's got high spin rates too. The, the, the thing that's kind of crazy, and I give him a lot of credit for and, and scouts have loved to see this, is, okay, you know, this guy's got this, this wicked slider and, and he throws hard. So, yes, you could dominate Oklahoma high school comp- competition just by throwing those two pitches. And he's taken it upon himself this year. To throw his changeup in games and work on it in games, even though if I'm a Oklahoma high school hitter, I'm like, please throw me your low eighties changeup because I might have a chance to hit that. But it's got really good tumble. He uses it against lefties and righties. He's got really good feel to spin, so he could turn the slider into an upper seventies curveball with with more downer shape. And you know, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I mean, if you, I've had guys go in and see him who've who've said. You know, on the twenty eighty scouting scale, (laughs) they saw 80 fast 80 slider, 70 fastball, 70 change up, 60 command. I don't I don't think he's gonna be the first pitcher picked. I mean, I guess there's a chance it could happen. Um, but if you're just grading out three pitches and control command, he grades out better than Jack Light or Kumar Rocker. Now, what what he doesn't have that those guys have is they've dominated much better competition in the SEC, which is the top league in college baseball, and they, they've you know proven that they can stay healthy, you know, longer than than Job has because Job's younger than they have. But if you're just grading out the stuff and ability to spot it up, Job would come out ahead of those two guys.
1: And Jim, I know you've heard this too, but you know I've heard from multiple people that you know they think that there's every possibility that Jackson Job will end up being the best pitcher from this class. I think the only reason we're not talking about him at the very top, you know, seriously is that that's never happened. You know, high school right-hander has never gone number one overall. There's the risk involved with high school pitching and all that. But as you laid out there based on pure stuff and the grades, he probably belongs in that conversation. It'll be interesting to look back years from now uh, to, to see who, who ends up being better, but he's right out there very quickly on, on the hitters. I didn't do a. Deep, deep dive, but the last four top hitter tools, Austin Martin, Adley Rushman, Nick Madrigal, and Keston Yura uh, are are all college guys. So at least for the, the past four, it has been the college bat. So my, my theory, at least in the short term, has proven to be true.
0: All right. It is time for our five guys segment. This week, we're looking at five guys with helium. So uh, as the list expands from 200 to 250, uh, we have a handful of guys uh, jumping into the list for the first time and uh, making a pretty big jump on uh, in a couple of instances here. But five guys with helium: Trey Sweeney, uh, shortstop out of Eastern Illinois; Aaron Zavala, outfielder from Oregon; Jackson Merrill and James Triantos, a couple of uh, high school shortstops from the same area in the country. One. Uh, out of maryland one out of virginia and then brody brecht a right-handed pitcher from ankeny uh high school pitcher
2: out of iowa uh guys tell us about these five guys with helium we're still working on this nothing nothing's locked in stone yet but with trey sweeney the one guy who's currently on the list when i was working on last week's mock i think there's a there's a good chance he could go in in the 20s in the first round as an accomplished bat and uh pop quiz time guys I know you're not prepared that's why it's a pop quiz. Can either of you uh name the two first round picks out of Eastern Illinois in their history which is where Trey Sweeney's from? Can you name either one?
0: I cannot, but I know that Danny G is
2: very angry right now. He... <laughs> he's he's cursing at the podcast as he listens. Uh yes, Jonathan, do you have uh do you have any guess for Eastern Illinois first round picks?
0: <clears> hmm. <throat> Big leaguers, either of them? both. Of I them?
2: think they both play in the big leagues.
0: That narrows it down to. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's only. I'm going to say that,
0: uh, that Stan Rover
1: was one.
2: Well, see, you're you're cheating, and you mispronounced <laughs> his name because it's Stan Royer. So, well, this is uh, what
1: happens when you podcast without your glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
2: And yeah, Tim I have no Pis-Narsky, idea. Tim Piznarski was the other one. So, oh,
1: I see him. I'm glad I didn't try to pronounce that without my glasses on.
2: Yes, yeah, so you, you, who knows what that would have come out as? But yeah, uh, you, know, you know, Trey Sweeney's interesting. He was a guy who last summer played you know it wasn't a college season he started to play well you know in the brief season uh, hit almost 400 in summer ball and then he's had a great year in the Ohio Valley Conference this year he had a good game against Jordan Wicks who's, who's the best left-hander in the draft and you know what's interesting about him is he's got a lot going on in his swing he's got a leg kick and a hitch but he's got great hand-eye coordination he makes the timing work and he just hits the ball hard time and time again he, he's a current shortstop He's six four two hundred. Everybody projects him to play third base at the next level, and I think he and we're going to see other names too. I, I think when when the draft comes in July, and we get to the twenties, and there's no consensus on who belongs in the bottom say ten picks of the th- first round, we're going to see some college guys, you know, pushed into the first round, and I think Trey Sweeney's got a chance to be one of them.
1: So Aaron Zavala is an interesting guy, and he's he is going to jump into the top one hundred after not having been on the 200. And his name came up a while ago because he broke out of the gate and he was hitting a ton. And he just, you know, when I talked to scouts initially, he was like, well, he's a college performer. He draws walks. He played every day as a freshman in 2019 and he was okay, but not great. And then last year in the shortened year, he, he hit over 400, but it was only in 15 games with no power whatsoever. You know, again, walking a lot, not striking out a lot. So I was like, all right, I'll circle back. And, you know, he just kept hitting and he kept hitting. And the biggest difference is that there was more impact this year, especially late, uh, especially as they got into conference play. He was named the Pac-12 Player of the Year. He had a huge regional. Um, so his name kept moving up. And he hit 392 for the year with a 525 on base. But the biggest difference was the 628 slugging. Uh, again, more walks than strikeouts, but uh, more extra base hits. He hit nine homers you know, even stole some bases, looked better in the outfield. So he went from being the kind of guy who was like, well, college performer that maybe analytics departments would like, uh, to a guy who, like, people believe he can really hit at the next level. And uh, this is a guy, you know, Trey Sweeney is one of those guys that may sneak into the first round. I don't think Aaron Zavala is going to sneak into the first round, but I think there's a host of college bats who are going to go earlier because of some of the lack of certainty that we've been, been talking about. And I think that Aaron Zavala, you know, if he went in the comp round or early second round, it, it wouldn't shock me because all things being equal, if you really think that this guy is going to hit, you're, you're going to you're going to take him. And so that's why he's kind of made this huge jump from not being on the list to be, you know, to being as high as we're going to end up putting him.
2: And I think you're you're dead on with that, Jonathan. I, I haven't heard his name in the first round. I know you're working on a mock for this week, but if somebody pushed him into the sandwich round or early second round, you know, as a college player who can hit, there just aren't many of those guys who people believe in this year. They're going to go very, very good in the draft. It's the, the guy who might have more helium than anyone at this exact moment we're recording this podcast is Brody Brecht and. and it's just the story's crazy. I mean, he's a guy who, who really benefits by the draft being in July, because if the draft was in June, he might have made one start before the draft because Iowa starts their high school season very late and he, and he wouldn't have been a factor. And you know, he's a guy, he's an Iowa football recruit. He really wants to play football. He's a wide receiver, might become a tight end, um, helped Ankeny win the state football championship last fall. And everybody knew about him, but everybody kind of thought, okay, there's no chance to sign this guy because you can't take him high enough to possibly get him away from Iowa football. And last year in the Iowa state tournament, which was held, you know, it's, it's in late July. Um, so it wasn't heavily scouted. He reportedly hit 98 and nobody was really there to see it. I think like a junior college coach saw it and some scouts heard about it, but nobody verified that Brody Brecht hit 98. And then you come out the spring and you get a chance to see him, you know, he, he didn't do showcase stuff last summer. He, you know, I think he was going to go to the super 60 and then, and not going to the super 60 in, in, in February. Um, And then they play an unofficial high school season with guys from Iowa and Wisconsin and Illinois. And he didn't participate in that. So everybody's like, okay, he's, he's playing football. We don't have to do anything. Well, Bertie Brecht has pitched I think three times, but (laughs) now, and in those games, He's not throwing anything less than 92. He's sitting 92, 94, topping out at 97. His sliders, it's it's a legit plus slider, 82, 85 with late bite. Um, He's also, you know, broke out a little bit of a curveball too. Just super athletic. You know, he's kind of doing it all with natural athleticism than than any polish on the mound. And it's very similar. You know, it's it's a similar kind of story to what Jeff Samarja was when Jeff Samarja was at Notre Dame. You know, Breck doesn't have a changeup. His delivery's raw, his command's unrefined, and he's really just kind of, you know, only hinting at what he could do in baseball. And so it's very exciting. Everybody's really excited about the idea of like, man, if you got this guy full-time baseball, what could he become? You know, Jeff Samar just had a long major league career, although he, he may be a tough sign, like like it, it, people are going to have to figure that out. But if he keeps throwing like this, he might he might get an offered a bonus, a seven-figure bonus that begins with a two which may divert him from football playing football for the Hawkeyes. But he's uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. He pitches against Thursday. And I would bet that the majority, if not all 30 teams will have people flocking to see Brody Breck pitch on Thursday to try to figure out exactly how good he is and you know, how much it's going to be worth to try to get him away from Iowa football. But it's pretty cool. It kind of made for a hectic Sunday because he, somebody mentioned him to me and all of a sudden i had to scramble and I, and, and contact guys to figure out where to put him on the list but he's he he might have more healing than anybody in the country right now
1: that's fascinating and you know it's one of the things where it, the similarities uh, it's apples to oranges you know because it's a pitcher versus the the two high school shortstops who were you know the other two guys on our list but one of the things that you you know is the you know, track record and you know uh, performance against good competition, and so it'll be interesting to see how they they weigh that. You know, in, in some ways it's it's easy. I think it may be easier to evaluate uh, a pitcher because you can look at the stuff and the delivery and the velos and things like that. With hitters, you can watch the swing and things like that. But if you if you if you're not hitting against good competition, it's it's a little bit hard to know for sure, especially if it's a guy who hasn't been seen all that much and the the two guys from maryland and virginia jackson Merrill and james triantos kind of fit that that bill a little bit um and both of them you know have had some pretty good helium despite not being seen a ton i'll you know i'll start with Merrill. i I guess he was seen some over the summer there was some uh, tournament in north carolina at usa baseball's complex but that wasn't heavily scattered so there were a few teams who knew about him but that was about it. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter, he's athletic and physical, 6'2", has a good chance to stay at short. The big question is uh you know again hitting against competition, you know the the regional high school play in Maryland, it's not, you know like he's playing in Southern California, so it's a little hard to to know for sure. And you know with with Triantos who is more of an undersized infielder uh, with he's got some pop, thinks sort of Alex Bregman type of player. Most people think he won't stay at shortstop, so then he moves to third or second. There are people who really believe in the bat, think he's a plus hitter with some power. Others aren't convinced because they just haven't seen him. Both of them have been mentioned as possible second or third round picks that probably go somewhere in that neck of the woods, but it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly how good they're going to be and you know these were the two guys that i referenced at the start uh, of of this week's pod in that when i went back to area scouts it was split who who they like better one scout kind of made an interesting point that you know if you draft Jackson Merrill and he struggles a little bit he looks like the kind of guy who's going to you know figure it out you're going to be more patient if you draft a 5 foot 10 guy who can't play shortstop and he doesn't hit right away player development guys are going to wonder, well, why did we draft this guy? Now, that doesn't mean that you don't take him. You know, if you really believe in the bat, then then you do. And maybe they both hit the ground running. But, it, you know, that's why there's such a split camp with players like this.
0: A lot to talk about with the draft, with our top draft prospects list expanding from 200 to 250. Make sure you go to MLB Pipeline com to check out that new list. First, all-star ballot update came out uh, and it is chock full of former elite prospects now stars in the big leagues we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to take a look at that list of leading all-star vote getters here on the mlb pipeline podcast
1: talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb. getroman.com/mlb
0: All right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We're going to turn our attention to the first update on the All-Star ballot, which came out on Monday. A look at the players of the the leading vote-getters in both leagues. So there are 17 players. uh, American League has the DH. Um, Of those 17 players, there are four that are former number one overall prospects. There are four more that are former number two overall prospects. And then a couple more who were number four overall. So that's 10 out of the 17 that were top four overall prospects. Got a couple more, uh, a few more that were ranked in the top 50 overall. Nick Casuanos was number 15 in 2014. Jesse Winker was number 26 in 2015. Aaron Judge was number 31 in 2016. The number, o- number one overall prospects, going back to 2011, Mike Trout. 2015, oh, actually, 2014 and 15, Byron Buxton. 2018, Shohei Otani. And 2019, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The number two overalls, Xander Bogarts in 2014. Chris Bryant in 2015, Ronald Acuna in 2018, and Fernando Tatis Jr. in 2019. And then the number four overall guys, Rafael Devers in 2017, and then going all the way back to 2010, and Buster Posey, who was number four on that list. So guys, I mean, I think the overall message here is that these guys have were expected to become stars. Obviously, that doesn't always work out. Uh, but these guys have fulfilled the expectations. Jim, interestingly, uh, of the former number ones, you know, Buxton is the one there who people had some serious doubts about, and for a while.
2: Yeah, and it's, I was gonna say, like, I, I think the overall take is that uh, the guys who put together that list, and, and maybe the guy who edits it all deserve significant raises, and uh, and two, we should... Uh, I guess Wander Franco and Adley Rutschman should book their reservations for the All Star Game in the near future, as well. But no, I mean with Buxton. You know, it, it's funny because he was on our uh, Jonathan. I want to say counting the midseason list, was it like five lists in a row? He was number one, and then I think Corey Seeger pushed him down to number two at one point. You know, he's never put up huge numbers in the big leagues. He's been hurt a lot. You know, he's one full season in the you know where he could play 140 games. It, it was a pretty good season. He won a Gold Glove. Um, offensive numbers were okay. They weren't unbelievable. You know, he stole 29 bases in 30 attempts. And you know, this year, I I, get, I think he's supposed to come back any day now. He's had a hip strain. He's missed you know a little bit more than a month. But for the first month of the season, he was hitting 370, hit nine homers in 24 games, five steals without being caught, making spectacular plays. You know, I, I just I hope for his sake and the Twins' sake and our sake as fans. I would just like to see, you know, c- can we give Byron Buxton some extended period of health so he can he can play three or four full seasons in a row? Because I mean, I you know, if you told me that he went out and was a you know, 30-30 guy or a 40-40 guy or, or won a batting title and and won a bunch more gold gloves, I really think that the the only obstacle for him doing that is staying healthy.
1: I think that's it. Exactly. And yes, we can all pat ourselves on on the back. That's your raise, Jim.
0: I want more than that. Jimmy, (laughs) another pat on the back. You were right that Buxton was the number one overall prospect, starting with our midseason list in 2013, all the way through our midseason list of 2015 and you were at Corey Seager was number one preseason 2000. Good memory. That's impressive, especially in the middle of draft fever. Um,
1: Well,
2: the reason I remember it is we got grief for a while, like our good friends, I think Greg more than Harold Reynolds, but when we do the top 100 show, they would give us a hard time when they'd show the past list. And, you know, Buxton, the twins kind of jerked him around with how they brought him up and down from the minors early in his career, and he didn't hit, and we would get grief. And I remember one time, I, th- I think it was at the end of 2016. He was playing well, and I happened to be watching MLB tonight. And Greg was waxing poetic about how we always knew Byron Buxton had this in him. And I actually texted Harold while they were on the air, and I was like, "You need to give Greg grief because Greg was ripping us for ranking <laughs> Byron Buxton number one." And to Harold's credit, he did give Greg a hard time when they came back from break. So that, that was great.
1: Well, that that is excellent because you know there's an ongoing joke that uh, that they destroy any and all video. Uh, you know, because I think there were questions about about Vladdy's ranking too. So uh, um, it, it's interesting. I, I want to talk most about Jesse Winker, but as I'm looking at this list, you know, Aaron Judge was an initiative and we don't need to, to go into it, but we both, we got criticized both for having him too high and too low um, almost simultaneously. So, that, you know, it's the nature of doing this, but a guy like Jesse Winker, you know, kind of, I not want to say he flew under the radar. We had him at, you know, number 26, but, and he's always been all about the hit tool. He's, you know, he's not a particularly gifted outfielder. He's acceptable. He's gotten a little bit better, but you know, he he was going to hit his way to, to the big leagues. And, you know, I, I make no mistakes about this. I don't shy away. Like I love high school guys who are pure hitters. And I, I like Winker coming out of the draft for that reason. And I thought he was going to hit, he hit in the minors. I thought this is the kind of guy who compete for, for batting titles, and, you know, the guy he was in, in the big leagues to, to start really wasn't that that guy. Like, he he didn't hit for that much average. The power started to come. And now this year uh, is the year he's kind of started to put it all together. You know, he, he leads the league in OPS currently. Uh, he's hitting 342, uh, continuing to get, you know, obviously get on base. The power is still there, so he's he, he's not... Giving up the hit tool to sell out for power, you know, this is the year he's kind of putting it all together. And uh, to me, this is the kind of hitter I thought he had the chance to be. So I just hope that, you know, it takes guys sometimes a little bit longer for it to all click. He he was a productive big leaguer, but this is, you know, more in line what I thought he had the chance to be when, uh, you know, when he was drafted back in 2012.
2: And he was a guy, Jonathan, we both enjoyed covering. He, he, we saw him in the Arizona Fall League. He won a batting title there. A great guy. Like, we, we talked to him at the Rookie Career Development Program. And uh, yeah, I mean, I made the joke then. Like, wait, it's mean, well, not a joke. I mean, <laughs> I think if Jesse Wien- I remember doing a futures game where I was in the dugout, whatever year that would have been. And it was funny because after he came out of the game, Jesse Winker just came over and talked hitters with me for like the last four innings of the game. Like I remember Javi Baez, like he was marveling at something Javi Baez did. And, uh, but, I, but I, I've told people like, if that guy wants to work for MLB Network when his career's over, he, he has the tools to make it happen.
1: Yeah, that or a, or a major league hitting coach. One of those two.
2: Just have him do both. So
0: a couple of the other guys uh, on this list of the leading all-star vote getters, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr. They ranked one and two, on our 2019 preseason top 100 prospects list, at that time, uh, we posted a poll on Twitter that said, "Which MLB legacy Uber prospect would you rather have?" And this was going, this was kind of coming out of the 2018 season: Blue Jays Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Padres Fernando Tatis Jr. Jim Callis, MLB, made his pick. in this week's inbox at that time the voting was a landslide in favor of vlad jr 82.7 percent for vlad 17.3 percent for tatis jr vlad of course was coming off that enormous season run at 400 you know he he, i think he was the clear cut number one I, i don't know if you guys uh could give some insight into into how clear cut that was going into 2019 but then Interestingly, um, in July of 2019, when Tatis burst onto the scene, and simultaneously Vlad was, you know, kind of plugging along, not but not really fulfilling the enormous expectations that he had. We followed up with a post that simply said, "How about now?" and uh, put the same poll out there, and then. Suddenly it's 66.2% for Tatis Jr. and only 33.8% for Vlad Jr. So last night when Vlad hit his 22nd league leading 22nd home run of the season um, and is just absolutely destroying uh, opposing pitchers and seems to have really hit his stride. We decided to ask it again. How about now Uh, more votes than ever. And this time, pretty evenly split. When I looked last night, it was exactly 50, 50. Uh, now it is 51.3% Tatis, 48.7% Vlad jr. And guys, I thought this was just a really interesting sort of, you know, longitudinal poll where, you know, these guys are, uh, what we expected them to be. Um, but people's perception of them is,
2: is, uh, a bit of a roller coaster here. I mean, I think like when we did the first two polls, I don't know if I, if obvious is the right word, but, you know, Tatis hadn't really broken into the big leagues and done much yet at that point, you know, and, and, and Vlad was supposed to be the second coming of, of Miguel Cabrera. So, you know, I, I think that was a pretty easy call. You know, Tatis, I think, had just gotten to double A. And then when we did the poll again in 2019, Tatis was having a really underrated, you know, like one of the all time great rookie seasons It was just a half season, but I mean, he had almost a thousand ops. He played great defense and, you know, Vlad, you know, as you noted, you know, Vlad isn't going to give you much beyond the bat and he was just okay. So that was pretty easy. And now I feel like you could go either way. I I, I voted in the poll. I, I voted for Tatis. Who did you guys vote for? Have you voted?
1: I voted for Tatis.
2: Jason? I did not vote. Maybe I should.
1: Uh, I mean, you, you know, this is this is a right we have in this country to vote.
0: And if you and don't take advantage of it. You're shirking
1: your obligation as a, as a citizen.
0: Come on. I created the poll. I did my part.
2: All right. But, I um, but no, I I think it's fascinating because I, I think you could I, – I went with Tatis Jr. because I think he's almost as devastating hitter as Vlad and he can beat you in more ways. But, I mean, right now, Vladimir Junior is the best hitter in baseball. And he's 22. Is he even 22 yet? I think he's 22. Um, and he's, you know, I mean, what's crazy is I actually felt like like he got heat because his first couple seasons, like he, you know, didn't destroy the league. But at ages 20 and 21, I mean, he had 24 homers in 183 games and, you know, hit around 270. Um, and this year, I mean – This is what, like Jonathan said, this is what we thought he was going to be in the minor league. I don't know if I would have said, okay, it'll be 1150 ops and he'll, you know, lead the league and everything. But I mean, this is the type of devastating hitter we thought he was going to be. I mean, this is what he looked like, Jonathan. You remember him in the fall league? Like, I I think he actually got bored in the fall league when we saw him in the fall league, but that that was back in, in 2018. He hit 400 and it seemed like every ball he hit, he smoked. And I remember in the Fall Stars game, He almost like Troy Horner, or I'm not Troy Horner, Nico Horner was playing third in the, in the fall stars game to kind of, you know, have the best lineup on the field. And Nico had never played third base in his life. He told me later, and the first ball hit to him, was, you know, Vlad Guerrero smoking a line drive at his head. You know, it actually had to be like 110 miles an hour. And unfortunately, Nico got the glove up just in time to protect himself. But, I mean, this is – he's making the game look as easy as he made it look in the fall league when we saw him in 2018.
1: Yeah, you, you reminded me of uh, a story when he, when he was in double-A. Was it double-A? Maybe he was in triple-A. And uh, you know, the story manager coaching third and, you know, screamer hit down the line and the third the third baseman didn't even have time to to move and the, and he turned to the manager and was just grateful that it wasn't hit right at him because there was no way he was going to catch it. Um you know and he did that regularly. I remember when he was in double A uh getting like a little bit of data and it was like early May and he'd already hit twenty six balls over a hundred miles an hour. So this you know this is what like you said what we thought and I voted for Tatis Um, only again, because, you know, I think the, the defensive play and the speed, you know, but I would happily have either one of them if I were starting a team, right? So if I had the number two pick and Jim took Vladdy number one, you know, or took Tatis number one, I would not be upset having Vladdy number two. So, but it's fun to see, you know, over, over, over the years, very nice job by the poll maker.
2: Do we remember when we did our under 25 draft back in February? I'm looking it up right now where Vlad went in that draft. Cause I know that Sarah Langs took Juan Soto with the number one overall pick. And I, I took Tatis with the number two pick. Well, I, I found it now. Do you guys want to guess? Well, Jonathan, you may know this cause you drafted Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But do you remember what pick he went at in our draft? No, I have no idea. He went sixth. He wasn't even your top pick in the draft. Because you picked fifth and sixth. You, it, our, our first five players were, were Soto, Tatis, Ronald Acuna, Wander Franco, and then you took Luis Robert, and and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went sixth. Nice. So fine pick by you. Thank you, you very much.
0: Him. Well, this is always a, a fun thing to do, uh, and I guess we'll still be able to do it for a while, is to look at the top 100 prospects list and see how many players on that list are still – are older than Vlad Jr. and Tatis Jr. You guys have have any idea of how many that is now? Fifteen.
2: I will say higher. I will go with twenty eight.
0: Yeah, it's even higher than that. it's. It's there are over forty players that are older than both of them. Um, Tatis is a couple year, a couple months older than Vlad Jr. But uh, there are about, there are nearly fifty players. They're about at the midpoint of the list, which is just amazing.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, Adley Rutschman, because he came out of college, Adley Rutschman's older than both guys, isn't he? Because Adley Rutschman's 23, so yeah, he is, which is crazy, you know, because of COVID. Adley Rutschman has played 71 professional games, but he's, he's still older than both those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, that just, you know, really puts in perspective where these guys are at such an early age. All right. When we come back, uh, we will introduce the newest member of our top 100 prospects list. And we'll take your questions in the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
3: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com.
0: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. We are going to wind down this episode by looking at the newest member of the Top 100 Prospects list and a bit of a misnomer to say newest because uh, he's now a four-time member of the Top 100 Prospects list, but uh, he debuted in 2018 at number 57, uh, moved up to number 39 in 2019, then dropped to number 80. In 2020, was not ranked. Moving into this year, but Jesus Sanchez is back on the top 100 prospects list. Guys, what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily made any adjustments. I mean, w- one of the issues with him is that he hits a lot of balls on the ground, and and his ground to air ratio hasn't changed. But he's he's raking again, and you know, as the guy does the Marlins list, I'll admit I had a little prospect fatigue with Jesus Sanchez because if. He was a guy who merged very early on, as you know, to Jason, his career as, a, as an offensive-minded you know, guy with a pretty high ceiling in the race system. But if you looked, literally every year as he moved up the ladder, his numbers went down. I, I did not read too much into his 25 at-bat big league debut last year, but going one for 25 with 11 strikeouts didn't necessarily make me say, boy, I believe in Jesus Sanchez. So I, I, I kind of wondered if he was this, you know, the guy who could put the bat on the ball, but but tends to swing a little too much and puts the ball on the ground. So he doesn't tap into his raw power. And, and this year he's back to, to driving the ball. You know, for, for a guy as celebrated as he is, he only, his career high in home runs is 15. And that was back in 2017. He's already got nine this year. So he's driving the ball a lot better. And, and it, and it looks like he's, he's back to becoming the Jesus Sanchez we liked before we, or I guess I should say I, got, got a little tired of him. Um, but, you know, he's off to a great start. I mean, he's got ops over 1,000 and, and crushing the ball in AAA.
1: It's crazy because he's only 23, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> older uh, than Vlad Jr. and uh, Tatis Jr. Right. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's only 23, and, uh, you, you know, I, I was lucky enough to see him in Dur- playing against the Durham Bulls and he, had a, he just absolutely crushed the ball to, to right center field, you know, talked about getting to that power. Uh, he is not missing pitches uh, that maybe previously he was not driving. So, uh, you know, that's the, the reason why he is resurfaced on the top
0: 100. All right. Let's wrap up this episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast with the mailbag. We had uh, a lot of good questions to choose from. We opted for this one. Who is the most entertaining prospect to watch? Jim, Jonathan, I think you guys were going to wing this one. What'd you come up with? Jim, did you figure out yours yet? Do you need a
1: little uh, time? I,
2: know I, I thought about it earlier. I, I had a guy. It's just as we noted, and I'll let you go first. It's tough <laughs> because we didn't get to really see guys play last year. And like I could have a long list of guys I'm excited about seeing play this year. And, but I have it's the draft stuff. It's not like I've been on MILB TV every night trying to watch every guy. So it's uh, it, it, that made it a little degree yeah, difficult. There's a little, it, who's there's your a- pick?
1: There's a little caveat, right? And I, I originally, at first, I was like, and guys are thinking, I'm like, oh no, he's in the big leagues. But I am gonna go with probably maybe my favorite prospect right now, and that's Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. Um, I, I really need him to to get promoted to Double A. I've been told it's gonna happen soon, and it's not just because the tools are ridiculous. You know, the hit, the power, he's doing, he's doing it all. Uh, it's the passion that he shows for the game and how much he loves playing. Uh, you know, we saw it in the fall league back in 2019. Uh, he's absolutely crushing the ball. Now, uh, went and played in the Olympic qualifiers for the Dominican Republic, crushed the ball there. So he's going to get up to, to double a very, very soon. And he's only 20 for, for all of this year. Uh, so I am excited to sort of see him move up the ladder. And I think he is got superstar written all over him because of the combination of his tools, and just the thousand watt personality.
2: No, that's a good pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna be boring here, and uh, and go with the number one prospect Wander Franco because I feel like I've monitored. You know, we we've had some great video of him repeatedly from Durham this year. Um, I remember enjoying watching him take batting practice, but just he could do so many things. Like you know he he's a switch hitter. You know it, it's you know one of two guys we've ever given eighty grade hit grade to. He's got power. It's 30 home run power. It's above average speed. He could play shortstop with his quickness and solid arm strength. He can play almost anywhere. So I I would pick Franco just because he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um. So, so I'll go with Wander Franco. I'm hoping at some point to be able to say, like, it might be Marco Luciano or it might be Jason Dominguez. But, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see those guys soon.
0: All right. That is a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.
1: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb. getroman.com/mlb.